I'm Janine, and this is Outside the Box. Standing by to join me is Mallory Gotthalf. Did I say that right? That's correct. Okay. She's founder of Find Yourself Boxes, and I'm so excited to have her on the show. I was actually doing a search for self-care packages for students dealing with mental health issues, and all I could find were Doritos and M&M baskets. (laughs) And I thought, okay, that would have been good for me back in the day, but then I would have been massively depressed and feeling guilty, but I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. First of all, thank you so much for having me here. And yeah, I really wanted to create something that was different than what's already on the market. So I'm very excited to be in this space where self-care has become really important. And we're, we're at a place where we want to make some changes to what self-care looks like for, for everyone. Absolutely. You know, so I, here I was searching uh, Google and where else, and I thought, I think she's really got something like a unique niche here because I didn't see anybody like you. That's first of all, that's I'm very excited and also (laughs) a little upset that there's not more out there that's talking Mm -hmm. about self-care in this way. Um, And it was really important to me when I started this business that I create something that was really targeted towards mental health. There's a lot of self-care stuff out there and it's really nice. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think there are certain aspects of mental health that we want to target and want to focus on to create lasting change and and greater impact than just something that's going to make you feel good for, you know, 10 minutes and then you kind of crash and you're back where you started. So this is about giving people the tools that they need to like empower their own self-care journey. And some people think of like self-care as like, oh, face masks and whatever, you know, on the surface, but with you and what you do, it's deeper, deeper than that. Certainly. And I think, like I said, there are bath products that we sell and they're great. And I think Mm -hmm. what we just try to teach people is that it's not just about the surface level. Oh, my skin's going to feel better. Like actually taking a bath is something that reduces anxiety and stress, actually the temperature of the bath and it can elevate your mood as well. So we're trying to pull the scientific aspects of these things that are that seem kind of frou-frou and luxurious and actually explain why they're helpful. And if there are certain things out there that, that we don't think are gonna be scientifically proven and backed, then we're not really gonna push products like that because we want people to, again, to see that this stuff is actually going to shape and change their mental health, hopefully for the positive, And so that's why there's so much research that goes into every product that I bring in. I meet with mental health professionals and we talk about that because I think it's important that I pull from their expertise as well as I'm someone who has lived experience with a mental illness. And so a lot of it is also personal to my journey as well. I don't put anything out there that I don't currently use myself. Every single one of my products I utilize as well, which means my house is full of inventory, (laughs) not just where we keep it, but also spread out through the whole home. I love it. So let me back up. First of all, are you in Boston? I am. Okay. And I had shared, I lived in Brookline, gosh, from summer of 87, summer of 88, and then moved there after grad school. I loved it. So yeah, I was pretty much in Brookline. And then I went to BU for grad school. Um, how long have you lived there? Are you from Boston? So I'm originally from Maryland and I, I came up here for school. Uh, I went to Northeastern and mm-hmm. so loved, fell in love with the city. I moved away for a year and then was itching to get back. And now I've been here for going on three years. So nice. very, very happy to be back in this area. I love, love the city. Well, plus you are in a city with thousands of students. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. And not in students and mental health programs and hospitals that, mm -hmm. you know, it's a really, it's a, it's a city that's bubbling with the desire to, to change and to grow. Do you want to share a little bit about your backstory? Because you said you were struggling and I think people watching this um, will probably find themselves in you perhaps a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I, as a young kid, I was a very outgoing kid. I was the youngest of two boys. So to get any attention, I felt the need to be the loudest in the room and the one who talked the most frequently. And you can see that in any home video of ours. <laughs> I am never, never not talking, never yeah. not yelling. So I was really bubbly and outgoing. And that was the side that everyone saw of me. But behind mm -hmm. the scenes, I was an incredibly anxious child. I remember at night, I would ask my parents questions about, about getting sick and about dying. And if I did this, is this going to make me die? And I was really anxious about death and a lot had a lot of questions about it. And so I think there was this undercurrent of anxiety behind my, my outward and outly, outwardly social personality. Mm -hmm. And so for a while, I really struggled with that. And it got to the point where I, I didn't know how to cope with it. And I didn't have language for it to really explain to anyone. And I started to develop some, some OCD tendencies to try to cope with it. And I had an issue with excessively washing my hands. Mm -hmm. And there was a perfectionism behind it and whether I felt like I had done it well enough. And I remember I would, I, there was one day in the fourth grade, I went to school and I was crying and a teacher asked me like, what's going on. And I, I could not tell her for the life of me why I was crying. I was upset Aww. because I couldn't wash my hands properly. Like when I thought about it, it logically didn't make sense to me, right. but it physically was taking such a toll on me and mentally taking such a toll on me that I was sitting in that classroom crying with no language to explain it. Mm. So Mallory, was, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of young kids who struggle don't have this language. And it's so important that we teach these, you know, have these education programs around it for young kids, because I think had we been more aware of it, the, the situation might not have progressed the way it did. Right. Um, because I think after that, and I continued to struggle, but I continued to shove it down. I didn't really talk about it, didn't know how to talk about it. And it really just, it took a while for it to really resurface. Yeah. But once it resurfaced, it, I was in high school at that point, it was around my sophomore year, and it kind of bubbled up as it, not just anxiety, but more depression. And that to me felt like a whole other battlefield to deal with was that I was starting to really pull inward. So the, the, the bubbly self that I once was, that started to kind of fade. And so then I was just drawing inward and people started to notice that. That's when people started to notice something was a yeah. little bit off with me. How was your, uh, like for me, it was eating habits. How was that? Like, did you, were you not eating enough, eating too much, or were you fine in that area? I actually, at the age of nine, I was told by a doctor that I was overweight and that started a very oh, long journey of, of issues with over-exercising and food yeah. control that definitely also played a big role in everything that was going on. Um, yes. Yeah, so so let was, me interject something. Yeah. The words of an adult, for anybody watching this, they can just pave the way for the future. Like I remember being told, by a family member that I was fat at eight, I wasn't fat. And then, you know, that perpetuates. And then I end up having back surgery later, later on in life because I kept running because I wanted to look good, but I ignored sciatica. It was in Boston at the time. I had my surgery at the Baptist. So it was such a life lesson 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The power of the language that you use, especially in those formative years, they, mm -hmm. it carries on for so, so long. So yeah, mm -hmm. I definitely struggled with that. And it was actually one of the things that prompted me to quit dance as a, as a teen, a early teen, because I couldn't stand to look at myself in a mirror. Aww. I didn't want to. Um, and it's something that I love. So it was a, it was a hard thing to do. And so, yeah, that in, in combination with this anxiety and these OCD tendencies, mm -hmm. and then there was it, it, when it was resurfacing, it also resurfaced in, in self-harm yeah. and me being unable to express a lot of the emotions that I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. There was only one person I was really talking to at the time. It was a girl who's, who noticed something was going on with me because she had been through a similar struggle the year prior. And so mm -hmm. she reached out and connected with me and she was the only person I told anything to, but it, she was only a high schooler as well. And so at some point she was like, this is a very dangerous situation. And I'm worried that you're, you're going to take your life. That was her main concern. Yeah. And so, um, on Christmas day, 2010, I, I'll never forget that day. That is forever ingrained in my brain. She came over and basically said, look, I'm here to tell your parents and you have two options. You can either sit here while I tell them, or you can just send them in and leave the room. And I'm going to tell them myself, but I will wow. not leave until they are aware of the situation at hand. And what happened? My parents were, they were there for about 20 minutes and they came up and they didn't say anything to me at first. I think they were trying to formulate a plan, but they did bring me to an emergency room. And that was the first time I was um, an inpatient in a psychiatric unit. And so that was really what kickstarted my journey of, of what treatment looked like, what therapy looked like, and what mental illness really was. I remember that first trip to the hospital, I was like talking to another patient and they were like, oh, it's my second or third time here. And I was like, oh, I'm never coming back. It's one and done for me, mm -hmm. not understanding that a mental illness is a, is a chronic illness. And it was something right. that I was going to need to really take a lot more control over than just one stay at a hospital. Yeah. You know, what a friend. Yes. Whew. She is wonderful. And I, and I, every Christmas I text her and, and thank her for yeah giving me the chance at life because I don't know what would have happened had she yeah. not told my parents. You know, it's very interesting you say this because there are red flags and I don't think some people feel that they can get involved or they should do something. It's not their place. But when somebody really cares about you and they see something, they should do something. Absolutely. I think especially when it's a friend, they worry about upsetting you. I hear that a lot with, with, with high schoolers and younger kids is that I don't want my friend to be mad at me. And people are like, were you mad at her? Initially, yeah, I was, a little, I was a little upset with her. But I was upset for only a short period of time because as I look back now, I'm so grateful for what she did. And so right. I think she was willing for me to be mad at her, knowing that she was doing the right thing and potentially saving my life. Right. That's really what it comes down to. She wanted to save you. Yeah. 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 Amazing. So, and then how did you end up launching this business? Yeah. So I, you know, I continued to struggle through high school and, and college. And it wasn't until I took a medical leave my second year of college when I, when I was really just struggling being away from home, away from my, my recovery team and my support system. Mm -hmm. It was when I took that medical leave and I actually volunteered at a psychiatric hospital in, in Maryland that I was actually a patient in. 
And yeah. I want to thank one of the one of the members of that treatment team for what she had done for me, especially when I was there. I was an incredibly stubborn and defiant teenager who didn't really want to hear like I needed help. Yeah. And so I went to thank her and she said, can you come back and speak to our patients? And I had never spoken about my story before, and I couldn't think of anything to write. I wasn't sure what to say. And so I kind of just went in and I was winging it. And it was the most powerful, probably hour of my life of them asking me questions of us just talking so freely and openly about mental illness. And so I realized in that moment that if I was going to go through all of this difficult stuff, that this right here was my purpose for it was to connect and give back in a way that felt meaningful and utilizing my story to do that. And so I started speaking and writing more openly about my journey and sharing it with the public and being vulnerable and not afraid to talk about it because it also gave me power. For so many years, I felt like I didn't have a voice and other people were telling my story, whether it was, you know, kids talking behind my back about where Mallory was or what treatment she's in, or, you know, people had control of my narrative and in speaking and writing, I, I found my voice. And so that was a really powerful step in moving towards this business because I understood the power of storytelling and the power of, you know, connecting with people through storytelling. And yeah. so when I, I was sitting at a job, um, just a day job, I thought it was great, but I, I knew it wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing. I, I wanted to be more involved in mental health. And so I thought about storytelling. And then I thought about all of the little gestures that people did for me throughout my treatment. And when I was, you know, just having a hard time and it was little things that spoke to me, like notes that my family would write me that my parents would bring into treatment and they were handwritten Mm -hmm. and I have them hung up on a wall in my office still because they were that meaningful or my brother used to send me a song of the day because he knew how important music was in my life. And he would email it to me because he was in college and wasn't home and around to be there. So thoughtful. So thoughtful. And obviously those things might not replace my treatment, but they gave me hope to see sunrise. And I think that's really important because you can't always be in treatment. You're not in therapy every second of every day. And so these little gestures really kept me going. So what I did was I was like, how do I use storytelling and meaningful gestures and connect that with things that are actually going to help people's mental health. And so I came up with self-care boxes really targeted towards mental health. And that's how the idea of find yourself boxes was born. Love it. You know, one of the things I started talking about last year um, was thoughtfulness, not only for yourself, but for others, because there's a tremendous power in being thoughtful to somebody else. It takes you out of whatever it is you're dealing. So if I know there's an 82-year-old neighbor and they're widowed and I knock on the door just to say hi and introduce myself, whereas normally I might be kind of apprehensive, but you're putting yourself out there and then you're lighting up somebody else who might be yes. having a really dark day. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I, I mean, that's, and that's another thing that I love about this is I love, I love gift giving. I think it's like a sport for me. Like I love thinking of the thing that's going to make someone the most happy And now I get to basically do that as my day day job is to be a gift giver. And I think that when you send it, you absolutely are connecting with that part of you. That's, that's, you know, being generous towards others. There's something that just feels so good about that. And I think that's, that's such a powerful thing about sending these boxes to someone else when you have the opportunity. 
Plus, I remember going to sleepaway camp and feeling very lost and alone and depressed. And when my grandmother would send me a care package, it was like everything, you know, it meant yes. so much to me. And so this is like the grown up version of a care package, but better. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I, I, I'm with you. I went to sleepaway camp as well. Those care packages were always, always a, a welcome treat for, for us. Um, exactly. Yeah, we, we basically wanted to take that concept and combine it with products that are actually going to engage people in their self-care and, and give them the tools to empower their own healing journey because it is so personal to each person. Definitely. One thing that you said a couple minutes ago is you took, I think you, you took a break, a men, mental health break, right? So yes. I was reading in Time Magazine last year before the pandemic, how for your generation, maybe even people a little older, they could, they could say, hey, I need to take um, a mental health day or mental health week or whatever. And they could say that comfortably, most people. People older, no way. They would suck it up and not do that. I think what you're doing by you going out and talking to people, even younger people, it, it makes them realize that you have to speak up for what your needs are and be confident in that because taking a mental health break is everything. It, it just, it's, it's a statement that your self-care matters more than anything and you recognize it. Absolutely. I think taking that medical leave was really difficult in terms of the university made it a little challenging. I think at the time taking like a mental health break there, there were a lot of concerns around it. And a lot of people were like, are you sure this is what you wanna do? And at that point I was like, look, if I graduate late, I graduate late. Like oh, well. I, I need to make sure that I'm stable and that I live my life. Like I'm right. afraid that I'm not gonna make it to tomorrow. And I think that's what needs to be recognized is that mental health days aren't just something where you're sitting around and you, I mean, you certainly should sit around and watch TV if that's what you need, but I'm saying, yeah. and not saying it in a way that you're lazy or there's something about you that's exactly wrong. It's that you need it to actually continue to move forward in your life. And I think with reframing that and telling people that that's something to help you actually be productive and actually feel connected to your own life. Yeah. That's like really what it's all about. Right. I know we, there are moments in life that are so shocking and tragic and everything, fill in the blank. And I think you have to take a moment of pause and, and disconnect from everything to really breathe because yeah. sometimes life can be way too much. Absolutely. You know? So what else would you like people to know about your business? Like if they wanted to find out more about you or, you know, your yeah. product? Yeah. So, um, findyourselfboxes.com is where you can come on and take a look. We're currently actually in the process of revamping our whole website to offer both curated boxes, boxes that I put together with uh, mental health professionals. Um, if you're not sure what you're looking for and we'll kind of create a box that's specific for that need. One of our biggest ones right now is sleep. Sleep has been something that's incredibly difficult. I just watched a webinar this morning on the importance of sleep for mental health. Yes. And so we create boxes that target different areas of mental health that we think are really important. But we also understand the importance of making self-care your own. So if you want to come on and build your own box, we absolutely allow you to do that as well. We want to make sure that it feels like a custom experience because what helps 
me might not help, you know, someone else might not help you. Um, And so we want to give you options that target a lot of different areas in the area that you need. So you can come on and and pick and choose the products that feel most meaningful to you, which is really special because I think a lot of times in, in a lot of the boxes that I had seen previously, it's like, here's a bunch of products and maybe only two of them really speak to you and the rest kind of feel like a throwaway. And so we wanted to make something that felt like this is my self-care journey and I'm taking, taking charge of it. Sure. Cause it's nothing worse than getting something like garlic oil. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do with that? <laughs> I guess I've heard you could just put it in your ear, but you want something that's very personalized. Like, will people call up and say, Hey, I have this guy friend, you know, should I really send them a box? Like, what do you have geared towards guys? Absolutely. So actually, it's really interesting that you asked that question, because when I first started on the concept and I was working with a a business coach and I still work with her to this day, I was like, I don't understand why all of these boxes are just geared towards women. Like men also are struggling with their mental health and they're actually typically less vocal about it. And so how do I make something that's that's not gendered? And I actually use, um, use my boyfriend as, as kind of a guinea pig for a lot of the products and, and my brothers as well. And, and I use them to kind of test ideas. And one of the things that I realized is a lot of the stuff that I sell is, is actually just for everyone. I have, we sell CBD bath bombs. My boyfriend is a big fan of taking baths. He has chronic pain and anxiety. And for him, He's learned that the CBD bath bomb is something that helps both pain and anxiety. And so I use him kind of as a poster child for like, it's okay to take a bath as a man. Like it's totally yeah, valid. Sure. One of my, one of my best selling products is actually the sleepy time lotion. It's like a vanilla lavender mix. It's so luxurious mm-hmm. and the scent is so soothing. And my brother is probably the biggest fan of that. He <laughs> is creating a mini like commercial for the the lotion as like a little gag to put on the website because he loves it so much. And so I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do is honestly destigmatize a lot of these things that men don't think are for them and absolutely show them that, you know, this is for you. Like writing in a journal can be for you. Like it's okay to have want to do a brain dump in a journal. It's okay to, you know, take a bath, use lotion. Like these things are for everyone and yeah, that's, that's one of my main focuses is to make self-care less gendered because it's not for men or women. It's, it's for everyone. Absolutely. Where are people finding you? I mean, is it now because you've been on the media? I mean, how are people hearing about you? Yeah. So sometimes it's, it's from, you know, I was fortunate to be on a good morning America, the, the third hour, what you need to know. So some people found me there, which is very exciting. <laughs> um, and then you know, through whether it be through social media, word of mouth, or sometimes people just doing searching keywords, like, like how you found me and and looking for, you know, something targeted towards mental health. So it's, you know, I keep pushing to make sure that I spread my message, not just, you know, it's not just about the sales for me. It's just because I want people to feel like there's a space they can come and take care of themselves. And that's, that's really my main goal. And, you know, it's, um, this is a great thing too, because, taking care of yourself is lifelong. So I always say like, you could be a rock star in high school. You could have that GPA and those SAT scores, which I never did. And then you get to college and you bomb, you just bomb, you bomb socially, emotionally, mentally, et cetera, et cetera. And so self-care is a lifelong journey that you have to work on. Yes. It's, it's something that I've realized, you know, I, I struggled 
through high school and college. And now I'm seeing some of my friends who have never struggled before struggle now. And, and, mm -hmm. and certainly the, the pandemic has not really helped with that. Mm -hmm. But so everybody is going to struggle at one point or another. Mm -hmm. And to have the skills and the tools that you need to really work through that is, is crucial. And it, it is lifelong. And I love that. I think people think self-care is take care of myself for an hour and move on. But it's, it's, right. it's really, a, it's a journey. And I know that's cliche, but it's so true that Ooh, so it is true. something that's going to follow you through life. And, and the more you practice it, the better you get and the better you feel. Absolutely. Well, this has been amazing. I've loved having you on the show. I want to thank you so much. And I'm going to stay in touch with you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Mm -hmm.